0: I think that's all the announcements we need to make. Did we find Acts 20 yet? All right. Uh, if I could get the map up on the board, and they're already ahead of me. Uh, we, we did a, 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 a sort of a detour for a couple of months as we uh, went to the book of Ephesians and studied the armor of God. We finished that up last week. In Acts chapter 19, we saw Paul go to the city of Ephesus and he established that great church. One of the greatest soul winning churches of the entire New Testament. Within the scope of three years of time, the Bible says that everybody that lived in Asia now, Asia in those days didn't mean China and India like it does today, it meant uh, the eastern or the western portion of the modern day country of Turkey. But everybody that lived in Asia, the Bible said, had heard the word of the Lord. Um, the Bible was specific on that. All they, which were in Asia, that meant that this church at Ephesus sent soul winners out everywhere. Uh, it was during that time the church of Laodicea, Thyatira, Pergamos, the, the seven churches of Revelation were all established at that time. It was just, it was a great, great ministry. Paul's ministry in Ephesus ended on somewhat of a sour note. There was a major riot in that city. Um, and it, it was very tense for a while, but the chamberlain of the city sort of calmed everybody down after a number of hours. In chapter 20, verse number one, the Bible says, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. So Paul is going to leave, and if we can kind of look up at the map a little bit, if um... I don't know how well you're going to see things. Ephesus is right there. Paul is actually going to travel north to the city of Troas. He's going to cross the Aegean Sea and go back up here to Macedonia where the church at Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, those churches were located. From there, he's going to go south, and he's going to end up in the city of Corinth. While Paul was in Ephesus during those three years, he wrote the first letter to the church at Corinth. We call that the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, And so he is sort of backtracking, that was his custom oftentimes, to go to the churches he had started, uh, make sure that they were doing well, establish them in the faith, encourage them as best he could. Um, While he was here in Macedonia, we're not sure at which church he was located, Paul wrote the second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians. And it is from that letter that we learn a little bit about Paul's state of mind. Keeping your place here in Acts chapter 20, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We've discussed a couple of times in our study of the armor of God that Paul had a hard time of it in Ephesus. He went through some persecution. He described in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now we know he wasn't thrown into a lion's den or anything like that. The beast is probably referring to the mentality and the attitude of the enemies of the gospel there. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we would not, brethren have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in god which raiseth the dead who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us So, Paul is just, he's coming kind of fresh off um, a a fruitful ministry there in Ephesus, but one that was filled with struggle. And again, look at verse 8 and notice his terms. We were pressed out of measure. We would use the term stressed out. And anybody ever been like that? We're just, I mean, you're just not getting away from the the, the strife and the hardship and the difficulties of life or ministry, pressed out of measure above strength. He was worn out. He was exhausted. Um, He was, uh, in in some ways you might, we would use the word at at wit's end. He said, in so much that we despaired even of life. These are unusual words for the Apostle Paul to speak. If you remember in Philippians chapter 4, let's turn there for a moment, we see a completely different guy. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians was written from prison in Rome many, many years after 2 Corinthians. Um, And look what he says in verse 10, Philippians 4.10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do you see a different spirit in Philippians than you saw in 2 Corinthians 1? Um, He's in prison in Philippians, um, and and he's uh, towards the end of his life and his ministry, but he's very upbeat. He said, I'm content. Um, God's been good to me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But back in 2 Corinthians 1, he said we were despairing even of life. Uh, We were pressed out of measure. We We were beyond strength. And he just describes that as a very, very difficult time. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There's an added issue that Paul dealt with undoubtedly in Asia, because he was, he's writing of as a, a past tense thing here. He says in uh, verse number seven, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So apparently while Paul was ministering in Asia and and there are all these churches getting started and the word of God is going out, that appears to have been the time that he was afflicted with that thorn in the flesh. So while he's going through all the other struggles there that he's despairing even of life, he's got a physical affliction that is a part of it. Sometimes being in the will of God is harder than we would imagine. I I remember as a young Christian thinking that the ministry and everything associated with it was going to be the most exciting thing, the most fun thing, if you will, that there ever was. By the way, it is exciting. I I wouldn't trade serving the Lord for anything or any other calling or career, Um, but uh, it's, it's fraught with its own difficulties and its own perils uh, and so forth. Uh, and, and it can wear us down. We don't often think of Paul in those terms. We often see him so upbeat, um, so, so positive about things, but here in second Corinthians one, as he is, and he's writing it from up here in, in Macedonia, in Acts chapter 20, we see a man that may be discouraged. Um, Some, uh, one commentator said that it's possible that he might have even been struggling with a little bit of depression that pressed out of measure and and despairing even of life sounds very much uh, like he he might have been uh, struggling with that just a little bit. But if you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, we kind of cut it off there. That is where God gave him the promise, my grace is sufficient for thee. Grace is where God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Grace is where God takes care of our shortfalls with his abundance. And Paul is learning to tap into that as we all must. So back in Acts chapter 20, we get an idea as Paul is beginning this final leg of this missionary journey, going backwards for a little while. We see a very different man than the one that started out on that journey. Verse 2, when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece, and that would be the southern part, known also as Achaia, most likely centering uh, almost exclusively on the city of Corinth. The Bible says, "...in their abode three months." And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Now, a little bit of a history lesson for you. Um, we know from later on in this text, especially verse number 16, that Paul was trying to get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost usually comes in early, the early part of June. Um, so, so all of this uh, that we're reading about in Acts chapter 20 probably is occurring in March and April of that particular year. Um, every year from this place right here, it's called Sancria, um, there's a little isthmus here uh, connecting the two parts of Achaia. There was always a ship that left with Jewish pilgrims that would travel uh, over here to Jerusalem so they could be in the holy city for the Passover and the Feast of Pentecost and so forth. Uh, Most likely, when it talks about that Paul was ready to sail into Syria, Paul was hoping to join that group of pilgrims and make the journey across the Mediterranean Sea because his goal was to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Again, we'll read that uh, in verse number 16. His plans were found out by his enemies, the unsaved Jews, and they laid wait for him. They, they were going to ambush him. Their desire would have obviously been to kill him. So Paul has to make a change of plans. He's already, if you will, discouraged. He's going to have to backtrack over land again and go this route. It's going to be a much longer journey for him. So we sort of see that, that Paul is not in a real high, upbeat place but he's still serving the Lord. Um, we're going to go through hard times. We're going to go through difficult moments. That ought not be our excuse to quit. Um, sometimes things aren't going to work out the way we wanted or the way we expected them to, but but uh, that doesn't mean that they're not working out. Paul stayed faithful uh, throughout all of this. We know he's he's, he's got a physical affliction that he's dealing with, Um, it had to have been discouraging to, you know, the ship would have been the easiest thing, you know, a nice Mediterranean cruise, you know, over to uh, uh, Jerusalem and just sort of unwind in that way. It wasn't going to happen. An overland trip was going to be longer. It was going to be more expensive. It was going to be a lot more difficult. Uh, but Paul didn't give up on God, didn't give up in the ministry. He just backtracked. But notice verse 4. If you will, his staff. they accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. God has added some people almost from every place that he's ministered. He's he's got a couple from here and a couple from there, and they are his companions. They're going to stay his companions for pretty much the rest of his ministry. As you read through the epistles of Paul, you'll find him mentioning all of these people uh, in there. Um, The Bible says in Genesis uh, that when God created Adam in the Garden of Eden... That God saw everything that it made, that it was good, and then he saw the man, and God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And so God made an help meet for him, and God took Adam's rib and, of course, made Eve the woman for him. Um, we don't function very well sometimes when we're by ourselves, do we? Um, turn back to the book of Ecclesiastes the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4. In verse number 9, the Bible says, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Solomon is extolling the benefits of friendship and companionship. The importance, the strength that we can draw from that. Uh, When we started our church in Pennsylvania uh, over three decades ago, uh, we started with just us. Uh, it was just Trina and I, or uh, Tim was uh, six, and, and uh, Anna and uh, Sarah were just, uh, uh, Anna was barely a toddler, Anna, uh, Sarah was about three, um, and it was, it was just us. And we did the door knocking pretty much on our own because we had small children. It was usually just me, and sometimes Tim would go with me on Saturdays and so forth. And it was slow going, and it was rough going, and it was discouraging at times. And we were doing what God wanted us to do, but it was a very difficult process. I'm thinking of Brother Zach Kinsman over in Newtown. Uh, I don't know if you follow him on Facebook, but what God's doing at New Heights Baptist Church in the last less than a year and a half is nothing short of miraculous. Um... You know, they've had days of well over 100 people and their church, you know, when their church was still six months old. uh, They are seeing people saved. It is a phenomenal thing, not just uh, in New England, but anywhere in the country for a brand new church to start out like that is an amazing thing. One of the great things about Brother Kinsman's ministry is the fact that it is not just Zach and his wife Catherine that are doing it, they've actually got a team of like-minded young couples that got together and uh, Zach said, I I believe God wants me to start a church here and pastor it and some some friends of his from college and so forth came together and working together, they're seeing a a great work for God. When we go back to Acts chapter 20, I, I believe with all my heart, God saw the hurt and the heartache of his servant Paul. By the way, there's a name in th- that's not included in this list, and for some reason, he's not there and he's not gonna show up very much anymore in the book of Acts. Does anybody who's na- know whose name is missing? Well, Barnabas, we know he's gone. Remember, he and Paul had to fight and split ways, uh, never to be together again, but uh, there's somebody else that started this journey with Paul, but he's not here. Who is it? Silas. Remember Silas and and Paul were in the jail at Philippi. Uh, The Bible doesn't speak about where Silas went. The Bible has nothing but good to say about him. Paul may have left him somewhere to serve uh, in uh, in another one of the churches that he started, Uh, but but God's given Paul a, a great group of people to serve with him. Verse number five. Now we're going to look at an interesting event that took place. Uh, in my little outline that I used, I had number one, Paul's stay. And that is when he traveled to Macedonia, then down to Greece, then Paul's state. That's why we went to second Corinthians and looked at the, maybe the depression. Uh, we know the physical challenges he faced. We looked at Paul's staff in verse number four, some faithful men that God called to serve alongside of them. And now we're going to look at Paul's Sunday Paul's Sunday. Verse 5. These, talking about the men in verse 4, before tarried for us at Troas. It looks like Luke has joined Paul again. Um, Troas, if you remember, is right here. So as Paul is making his way up here, these other guys went ahead of him, and they're waiting for Paul at Troas, and eventually uh, Luke and Paul will cross this body of water and will join him there. And Paul's gonna spend a little time there. As we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, this is one of the biblical references for why we as New Testament believers have church on Sunday rather than Saturday. And upon the first day of the week, When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. First thing I have in my outline is a long sermon. A long sermon. Um, We're not sure what time the service started. Uh, We don't know if it uh, started early in the morning. We don't know if it started in the evening at the end of a workday. Remember, this is a pagan culture, okay? Um, When I was growing up, most every business and and place like that was closed down on Sunday. Nothing was open. Uh, It's not that way anymore. Now, restaurants and malls and everything else, they're all open. But where I grew up, gas stations weren't even open, you know, that type of thing. Sunday was called the Lord's Day. So when we think of going to church, everybody went to church on Sunday morning. Now, I didn't go to a a Bible preaching church. I went to a Presbyterian church, and Sunday morning is all that we had. I never knew about a Sunday evening or a midweek service till after I got saved when I was a teenager. But everybody that I knew went to church somewhere, but it was Sunday morning. That was our culture when I grew up. But if we go back almost 2,000 years to the book of Acts, it is a pagan culture, and Christianity is just beginning to have an influence on the world, but it's still not a real huge influence. Okay? So Sunday was just another day of the week. Even in, in uh, Judaism, if you were to go to Israel, on the Sabbath day on Saturday, the Jews would rest. Their businesses would be shuttered um, and and they would rest. They might go to the synagogue. They might go to the temple, that type of a thing. Uh, But Sunday, all their businesses would be open because Saturday was their Sabbath. So I'm I'm sort of helping you understand a a little bit here as far as the timeline goes. When the believers in the book of Acts would gather, they did gather on the first day of, of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talked to them about when they came together on the first day of the week. We automatically assume that they started the service Sunday morning because that's our culture, but it might not have been so. Because it was a pagan culture, all these people had jobs. Many of these people might have been slaves or servants, and they would have to work all day long and after their work day was done, they may have gathered and had their service on the first day of the week, but it might've been early evening. So when it says that Paul preached till midnight, doesn't necessarily mean that he started, you know, with Sunday school at 10 and the morning service at 11, and then he just kept going for the next 13 hours. Now he might've, okay, but we're not sure about that, but Paul continued his speech until midnight. Um, We don't know if Paul was always a long preacher. He might have been. Uh, But Paul has a passion here. This is the last time he's going to see these people. He has a lot that he needs to impart to them, a lot of teaching. He wants to make sure that they understand he knows this is his last time with them. So there may have been an urgency about him to just keep things going. And so midnight comes and Paul is still preaching. By the way, most of them, all except at least one of them, are listening. Verse 8, there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Candles, oil lamps, that that type of thing. And there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching... He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. So I have a long sermon and the lounging saint. Uh, You like that one, Pat? The the lounging saint. Uh, Evidently, they're up on the third floor. Uh, We don't know if, if it was like some auditorium that had several balconies. It probably wasn't. They were in an upper room, evidently on the third level. Might have been hot, uh, it, it's that time of year in that, that part of the world. So Eutychus has is, is found a way, the window's open, um, and he's just sitting there, and he just fell asleep. Paul, the Bible says, as Paul was long preaching. Anybody here ever fall asleep in church? Yeah, it's, it's happened to the best of us. Um, when, when I was in Bible college my freshman year, we were in chapel uh, one morning, and uh, a lot of us work second and third shift jobs. And uh, so, you know, by the time we sat down in chapel, uh, it, would be, it would be packed and crowded. It would be a little bit warm, that type of thing. And staying awake was sometimes a struggle. Uh, some people had harder times than others. Uh, one day in one of my classes, it was general psychology class, there was a guy sitting um, Kind of on the front row, and uh, he was sound asleep, and he was a drooler. He was a drooler. And he had this long thing of drool, his head's down like this, this long thing of drool, and it would come down, and we were kind of off to the side. We could see it happening and come down, and come almost to his tie, and almost like instinctively went you know, and he'd get it back up in. And then he just, you know, drool, he never woke up, just drooled a little bit more. And he did that several times. And then finally it landed and it just kind of pulling, you know, on there. And, you know, yeah, I was 17. We weren't real spiritual at the moment. You know, we're kind of all laughing. Mrs. Uh, Marlene Evans was teaching and she said, would somebody please wake him up instead of laughing at him? He's ruining a very nice tie. Uh, don't, don't sleep in chapel. Another guy, uh, he was a bobbin weaver, you know, bobbing and weaving like this. And uh, he just kept leaning further and further out into the aisle, and then he'd lean forward, and then he'd catch himself and come back. And finally, he leaned forward so, so fast and so hard, he smacked his forehead against the pew in front of him. It sounded like a gunshot in chapel. None of his friends were there to wake him up. Everybody just sitting there laughing at him. Uh, that's kind of what you did. I had a friend. Uh, his name was Harold Burrell. He pastors in Pennsylvania now. Uh, he fell asleep in chapel, and he fell over on his girlfriend. Well, she, he eventually married her. That was their first date. Uh, We had a no-touch rule between guys and girls at at Bible college, and he's on her lap. That's when he woke up. His head is in her lap in chapel. We do a lot of things we're not aware of when we sleep, uh, and Eutychus was one of those. And uh, the Bible says he fell down from that third-story window, presumably landed outside, and the Bible said was taken up dead. That would pretty much end that sermon. How many were here this Sunday? We had a fire drill in the middle of the morning message. Russ Korb put pizza boxes in the oven to keep pizza warm. Yes, it set off a smoke alarm, that type of thing. has a way of interrupting a service. Uh, Notice this. The Bible says, verse 10, And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, notice it said in the previous verse, he was taken up dead. He was dead. Verse 12, they brought the young man alive. Wow, salvaging a bad situation. God gave Paul a a, a miraculous uh, ability, and that young man, Eutychus, uh, was was alive again. By the way, this is just my thought, my opinion. I'll bet that kid never fell asleep in church ever again. Or at the very least, he never sat by the window. Uh, One of those things. Um, but, uh, it it was just a remarkable scene that, that took place here. Uh, and, and, I'm sure that had an astounding effect. Verse 11, when he was therefore come up again and had broken bread, this is after midnight now, uh, they just decide maybe, maybe everybody needs to calm down a little bit. Uh, they had some, some food together. Uh, it's still the wee hours of the morning type thing and eaten and talked A long while. The guy preached till midnight. Then there was a funeral. Then there was a resurrection. Then they had breakfast. And then he preached a little bit more. Um, Even till break of day. So it's about six in the morning or so. So he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So Paul is meeting with a lot of people for the last time he will never go back to Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, or Berea again. He will never go back to Troas again. And so we, we just get a glimpse that though Paul has been discouraged, though Paul has gone through a lot of trials, um, pressed out of measure above strength, despaired of life. He's got this physical affliction Paul is still carrying on in the ministry, uh, and, and, and he, is, he is giving it everything that he's got to do. Verse 13, and we went before to ship. So from Troas, they got in a ship, and they're going to start sailing down this coast. They'll make little stops here and there along the way, um, going all the way down here. Ephesus is at, the, is at this place. They're going to make all these little stops. And finally, Paul is going to uh, disembark here at a place called Miletus. Um, A few weeks ago, I was in New York City and I I took the train um, uh, Metro North down. And uh, I started having chest pains while I was there on Saturday. So, you know, I got the first train back and it was not an express train. Uh, They stopped at every place you could have a train stop between... Uh, New Haven and in, in Grand Central Station, and I'm sitting there clutching my chest. I got a lady sitting beside me trying to make sure that, that I was okay the whole way, and uh, that's just kind of how it was, and people get on and off, and that's how this ship was making its journey uh, down the coast. Again, verse 13, and we went before the ship and sailed unto Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go to a foot. So, The rest of the team got on the ship and Paul walked again. Why do you suppose Paul's walking like this between places? Any thoughts? What's that? Maybe to meet more people? Man? Maybe to be alone with the Lord? You know, sometimes when when I'm stressed, being alone with the Lord is the very best thing for me. Sometimes when I'm stressed, being around people um, just seems to stress more because somebody like Paul will give himself to those around him. And every now and then, we need to follow the Savior's advice to his disciples. Come aside into a desert place and rest a while. Um, it, It wasn't quitting or anything like that. It was just Paul just taking some time, maybe some alone time with the Lord. Again, we can only guess and conjecture on that. But Paul traveled by foot, verse 14, when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Mytilene and we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So Paul's getting in a hurry. He had planned to sail um, to Jerusalem from over here in Sancria and make the trip. That didn't work out, so it's been a long overland trip. Uh, He's almost two weeks just in Troas, and now he's making this trip down the coast. It's interesting that he stopped at a lot of places but not Ephesus. We made mention of this before. It might have been that the trials of Ephesus are still very, very much fresh in his mind. He still may be, in some ways, recovering from some of that. So that was the one place that he passed by, but he wasn't going to neglect the church, nor those people. Verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Pause there for a moment. Verse 19, we get another glimpse into the hardships of that ministry that Paul had in the city of Ephesus. The people there, these elders, those the, would be the pastors of the church, um, he said, you watched me. You saw how I was with you at all seasons, in the good times and in the bad times. In the easy times and in the very difficult moments, you saw how I was, uh, again, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Paul is going to share a message with the elders of the church at Ephesus. He's got some final parting words to say to them. Um, There are going to be some reminiscing that's going to go on. Uh, There's going to be some challenging and, and some encouragement that comes along. He's going to give them some warnings, all of which are very important for us in our day and age, uh, to take to heart, we're going to stop here before we go any farther in this this message, the final message to the Ephesian elders. But let's just be reminded uh, of a few things: the Christian life and following the will of God is the best and the most important thing that any one of us will ever do. Not all of us will be called to preach. Not all of us will be called to go to the mission field. But we've all been called to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord. I believe, based on the Word of God, we're all called of God to be a part of a local, independent New Testament church and to use our gifts and talents in that church. We may have a career that our nine-to-five job is somewhere else out there, and that's fine if that's the will of God, but we are all called to serve the Lord. We need to understand this, whether you're serving the Lord as a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a bus worker, or a nursery worker, that service of the Lord is a wonderful thing. It is a great opportunity of which none of us are worthy of, but we need to understand, regardless of how God's called us to serve, there'll be days that serving is hard. There'll be days of discouragement. There'll be days where every one of us is gonna ask ourselves, is there any point to this? Am I making any difference whatsoever? When those moments come along and we are feeling pressed out of measure, when we're tired and it's now above strength and we're not sure we can go on and maybe, like Paul, a physical affliction is added to just the stresses of life Uh, And the stresses of the ministry, that's where we need to learn, like Paul, to tap into the grace of God and let his grace become our strength. In the last decade and a half, I guess, the Lord has allowed me to come in contact with some incredible servants of the Lord. And I'm astounded at how many of them are going through physical trials Doug Fisher, who has preached here a number of times, many of you know him, uh, an internationally known pastor, for all intents and purposes, got sidelined by stroke after stroke after stroke and then seizures uh, caused by all of those. He has since retired uh, from pastoring the Lighthouse Baptist Church in San Diego uh, and so forth. Um, and and it's, been a, it's been a trial that he didn't foresee coming. Uh, or any of those uh, those situations, Brother Fisher and I still text back and forth uh, almost on a weekly basis. and I, I'm still praying for him, and I, I got a sweet text from him this last Monday morning. Uh, uh, it's just some words of encouragement. But two weeks ago, he just asked me to pray for him. He said, uh, I'm going to be preaching in Arizona. He said, They're trusting me to leave town, uh, preaching in Arizona.' You understand the scope of his ministry has gone from literally international um, to all of a sudden it, it just seems like it's shrunk down to just a very narrow thing, but it's still the ministry God's called him to do. He's the one that taught me the phrase, the ministry of suffering. And Brother Fisher, he may be aware of it, he might not. all kinds of people like me are watching him drawing strength from his spirit and his faithfulness. And uh, even in some of my conversations with him, he said, God just put me on a new track and I'm just waiting to see what lessons the Lord has for me to learn in this. And that's his outlook on things. As we go through those times, and hopefully you'll not go through things as difficult as what Paul dealt with there while he was in Ephesus. And in the, the journey following that, But understand the grace of God is sufficient. That grace of God will get you through. Just stay faithful. Just stay faithful. That's really all that God's called us to do is to be faithful, period. And if anybody exemplifies that, it's the Apostle Paul. Next week, next Wednesday night, uh, we want to look into this uh, message to the elders at Ephesus. There's a lot in there for us. So I hope you'll be back And be a part of that. Let's stand together. Thank you for coming in tonight. Don't forget to get your kids.